Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, reading there in the fourth chapter, the first verse as follows. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, Christian friends, who are worshiping with us this morning by means of the radio. I'm sure that all of us can say today, this is the day which the Lord hath made and surely we will rejoice and we'll be glad in it. And I hope that all of you who are in church this morning are glad you came. And you who are worshiping with us by means of the radio, we do appreciate your listening and worshiping. And I hope that you will enjoy having done so. You heard me say that today is the 17th Sunday after Trinity. Now in the ancient Christian church each Sunday there was a particular epistle lesson read from the Word of God. And on this particular Sunday in the early centuries of the Christian church it was a portion from Paul's letter that he wrote to the congregation at Ephesus and Asia Minor. You perhaps remember that the epistle last Sunday was also taken from the same letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church. When Paul was on his third missionary journey, he was there at Ephesus and worked about three years there and established a very flourishing congregation. Later on, he was in jail in Rome. In fact, he was in prison when he wrote this letter to that congregation at Ephesus. And that's why he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. I, a prisoner for the Lord's sake. And this is what he is saying to them. He says, I beseech you, Ephesian Christians, that you will walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He says, I hope and I pray, and this is what I urge you, that you will walk worthy of the vocation of your calling, that you will live, live up to your calling. Bear in mind, he says, Ephesians, you are Christians, and I hope that your conduct in life will be in keeping with the fact that you have been called as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, this is what he had in mind in that conduct. The way they got along with one another, their relationships with one another. So what he was saying to them was this. He said, I beseech you that you walk worthy of your calling, that you live up to your vocation. In other words, he says, Ephesians, will you practice what you preach in your relations with one another? You preach and you profess, he tells them, that you are Christians. Now I ask you to practice what you preach and profess. I ask you to show that you are Christians in the way you get along with one another in the Ephesus congregation. I want you to show that you are Christian in, again, the way you treat one another, in the way you hit it off with one another. And today this is the portion of God's word that we bring to this congregation. And Christian friends, today Paul is talking to you and me from the eternal word of God and he is speaking from the word of God especially to you and me as members of Emmanuel Lutheran Congregation here in Marion. You are guests this morning. We are very happy to have you. And you who are listening this morning who are not members of this congregation, uh, thank God you are listening. We're glad to have you worshiping with us. But may I say as you worship bear in mind that from the word of God these words are being addressed 
to this particular congregation, Emmanuel Lutheran Congregation in Marion, Ohio. And through the word of God, as Paul wrote by inspiration to the congregation at Ephesus and Asia Minor, Paul is writing to you and me as members of Emmanuel Congregation, and he is saying, I beseech you, I call upon you, will you walk worthy of your vocation? Will you please practice what you preach in your relations one to another? You preach and you profess that you are Christians, I challenge you, will you practice it? Will you show it in the way you treat one another, in the way you get along with one another, in the way you hit it off with one another? Will you practice what you preach? And you and I this morning, we may say to ourselves, that's hard to believe that the Apostle Paul in the Word of God, as he would speak to Emmanuel congregation, as he spoke to the congregation at Ephesus, that he would call upon us to practice what we preach in our relations with one another. We may say, I don't know of one good reason why I should. I don't see any good justification why I should see to it that I practice because I am a Christian what I preach with regard to the way I treat others. And we may say, after all, they don't deserve it. Look how some in the congregation treat me. And maybe some of us this morning can say, boy, I've had it. I've really had it on the chin. I've been through the mill. You have no idea what I put through in the congregation. And we may say, oh, they don't deserve that I practice what I preach. There isn't any good reason why I should. And maybe that's the way you and I feel about this thing of getting along with one another. But the Apostle Paul, when by inspiration of God, he was writing to the congregation at Corinth, and again here at Ephesus, he tells them this. He says, I beseech you, will you practice what you preach? Will you walk worthy of your calling? And here was the good reason that he told the Ephesians. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you do, he says, this is the real good cause and reason. This is the justification that then you will live together in peace and you will preserve the unit that the Holy Spirit has given. That is the concord, the oneness, the peace of the congregation. Paul says, that's the good reason, that's justification why I call upon you as members of Emmanuel Congregation in Marion, Ohio. Will you practice what you preach in your relations one with another? And again, we may say, well, uh, is that so wonderful uh, that thus it would mean that we would live together in peace? And is it so wonderful that we would preserve the unity of our congregation if we again practice what we preach? And as we have often heard, peace is wonderful, isn't it? And it is a marvelous thing to live together in peace and to preserve the peace of the congregation that the Holy Spirit has given because Paul reminds you and me in the first place that when we live in peace with one another as members of this congregation and when we thus preserve that oneness that the Spirit has given, the concord, the peace of the congregation, that then this gives you and me the personal evidence of that, that faith that the Holy Spirit planted in your heart and mind is a real living, saving faith, not deader than a doornail and not, again, a cheap counterfeit faith. 
Isn't it true that sometimes we say to ourselves, because I can't see my faith, how do I know whether my faith is a living faith? And Christ said one day, by their fruits. And in this particular case, if you can look at your faith and mine, and we see that it is a faith whereby we are practicing what we are preaching and what we are professing in our relations with one another, the way in which we get along, then we have the right to say, mine isn't a dead faith, mine isn't a worthless faith, I've got the fruit on the faith vine of my life that again my faith is a living faith and well may we stop and say well you say I'm to practice what I preach in my relations with members of my congregation I am to practice I'm to show if I claim that my calling is that of a Christian that I am a child of God we say uh, how do you do it how do you get along and very simply Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he told them he says in lowliness he said, be lowly and be humble. In lowliness, he is telling them that they are to do it. And again, they are to do it also in being long-suffering and forbearing one another in love. Paul says, this is the way you get along. You bear in mind that you love one another. And this is a particular kind of love. This is a Christian love. This is the kind of a love that only a Christian has, and that is that he loves every member of his congregation to the point, barring none, that he wants nothing, nothing less than that person's salvation. So Paul says, when you love one another, that you have one desire and one aim, that every member of that congregation shall share heaven, then you will know how to get along with one another, and you will be kind and gentle, and you will be very humble, and you will be long-suffering and forbearing. Long-suffering you will bear with one another. You will overlook the weaknesses of one another. You will learn to put up with the weaknesses of one another. Here's where we get those two little bears that you have heard me mention several times. When you and I are long-suffering, that means we bear with the weaknesses of our fellow members of the congregation. And when we forbear, that means that you and I see that we do not have a short fuse, that we do not blow our stack, that you and I do not let our tempers get the better of us, that we do not go around telling everybody what we think, whether we hurt them or whether we do not hurt them, feeling that we have the right to say anything that we want to say. How do I practice what I preach? In other words, Paul says, when again in Christian love you have two little bears living within you, the first little bear that you bear, the burdens and the weaknesses of one another, and that you forbear, that you see that your fuse is not too short. And then when you and I know this is the way in which we get along with one another, what an honor and what a distinction to know that we have a living faith and the evidence that a living faith means eternal life. Do we realize what it means in the congregation to say, by the grace of God, mine is a living faith. It shows itself that I am practicing what I am preaching, that I am learning to put up with the weaknesses and again with the things of others, even though they may harm me and I am watching my words that I do not lose my temper and I'm not a short-fused individual. 
And therefore I know this, that mine has the fruit, my faith in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit has brought me to was the living flame. And I know that I'm saved. I know that when death comes, my soul shall not be destroyed in hell. I shall live with God in heaven forever and ever. Do you know of any greater joy and of any greater value that can come? Peace is a wonderful thing. And it ought to mean then today, as Paul, through the word of God, is talking to Emmanuel this morning, that we ought to say to ourselves, if I am to practice what I preach with regard to the way I get along with my fellow member of the congregation, then today if we determine to do so, I think the first thing we ought to do is stop and probe within ourselves and to ask ourselves, am I practicing what I am preaching? You know, the very easy thing, the minute I mention that, is for you and me to say, why don't you practice what you preach? Did you ever do that? You know, we can throw it away from ourselves in a hurry. And we can say, you practice what you preach. Who are you to tell us? But you see, that's who is the pot to call the kettle black. Would you, my fellow members of Emmanuel, would you just forget about the pot calling the kettle black? And would you just look at yourself and I look at myself? And let's just look at this. You and I practice what we preach in getting along. Do we know what it is? to be long-suffering, to be kind and to be gentle, to see that we don't have a short fuse, to put up with the weaknesses of others, to overlook so many things that we could comment on. What kind of a companion are you and I? What is our get-along ability? Let's put it this way. If you had to choose yourself and I had to choose myself for a world-long companion or an eternal companion, would you choose yourself? Are you easy to get along with? Am I? Or how about it? What kind of a home do you have? What kind do I have? We'll all say this morning, oh, i got a Christian home. Is it Christian in spirit as well as in name? How about it? One of my friends in my first congregation used to come to me when he was full up to here with his wife who had a very short fuse, but he had a little Irish humor about himself and a little Christian wit, and he'd say, but let me tell you, Reverend, he says, Marthy is the grandest wife in the world. If you don't cross her, how are you and I when we're crossed? Paul says, are you walking worthy of your vocation? Have you ever noticed this? That when a divorce has taken place and a husband and wife have separated, and I'm not talking about divorce this morning, but I'm asking, have you ever observed this, that when the second time around comes and again each one remarries, have you ever noticed this? Have you ever said, why, look at him any second time or Why, his first wife was a beautiful woman, well-dressed, very attractive, and again, look at the second wife. She isn't near as beautiful as his first wife. She doesn't dress near as attractively as his first wife. And yet I wonder why they seem so happy. Have you ever thought of that? Or you look at her and you say, how in the world, when she divorced her first, how in the world could she marry that guy that she's married to now? He isn't half as handsome as her first husband. He doesn't have the position in the community. He doesn't make half of the income that her first husband did. Isn't it rather strange that in the second time around she would marry a man that seemingly doesn't measure up to her first husband? Have you ever wondered, oh, we've made comments like that. Have you ever known the mystery? And you wonder why they are happy. Did you ever hear of the word compatibility? Did you ever hear that the joy of getting along with one another 
Have you ever realized that sometimes that physical attraction, that wanes? But oh, to get along, to know how to treat one another, to appreciate one another in the home. Tremendous. You and I say, but in the congregation, why should I practice what I preach? When people hurt me, I've been through the mill. They don't deserve it. You are so right, friend. But neither do you and I deserve what we have in Jesus Christ. What in the world is there about you that Christ should love? I don't see anything in you that Christ should love. Why? Because I don't see a thing in me why Jesus Christ should love me. You and I, there's nothing lovable about you and me. We are all sinners. We are all rebels. There was nothing in you or in me that, again, should ever cause us to deserve the love of Christ. That's why I love the word grace. Jesus said, while ye were yet sinners, he loved you and me. There's nothing lovable about you or me. Oh, that God's Son should come out of the ivory palace into this world and die for you and me? What is grace? Grace is undeserved love. And when you and I can say, God knows, maybe the member of my church doesn't deserve that I treat him again and practice what I preach, but God knows I don't deserve either that God died for me on the cross, and that because he died for me while I was a sinner, a rebel, that therefore I'm not lost and that I have eternal life. Thank God that today, when Paul by inspiration talks to Emmanuelites, not to you, our visitors and guests this morning, or you who are not members of this church that are listening, that he's talking to you and me as members of the church. Thank God that he is so gracious that there is forgiveness even for this, that we are failing to practice what we preach. Today ought to be the time when we'd say, I've been miserable. I've got a short fuse. I've never watched my tongue. I don't care what I say. Somehow or other I have forgotten that you want us to live in peace. And that again, that oneness that the Holy Spirit has given to the congregation, that kind of peace is wonderful. Thank God that you and I have a Christ who gladly and graciously forgives us when we say, I have not walked worthy of my vocation. I have not been practicing what I have been preaching and professing that because I am a Christian, I have not been showing it. And thank God for the forgiveness of sins, even though you and I don't deserve it. Oh, today, Paul, as he was writing to the Ephesian congregation, he's writing to this one. You and me as members of Emmanuel, we have so many listening, and when we wash our linen, we're glad to have you listen, because maybe again you will learn something about us. Again, the Apostle Paul says, will you walk worthy of your vocation and your relations with one another? Will you practice what you preach in your relations? You and I may say, I, I can't think of any good reason. Paul said, this is a good reason. When you do, it means that you're going to live in peace with one another, and it means that the unity of the congregation, that peace that the Holy Spirit has given will be preserved. And that is a wonderful thing. Thing, that is a valuable thing because it means in the second place as Paul reminds us that when we live in peace with one another and when we preserve the unity of the congregation, the peace and the joy of the church, then there comes to you and me this personal evidence that the Holy Spirit is using us as an example for other members of the congregation in this thing of how to get along. How many of us realize that the Holy Spirit wants examples when we practice what we preach, then others in the congregation look to us 
You see, new members that come into the church may not know how do you treat one another in a Christian congregation? How do you practice what you preach? And you and I, because the Holy Spirit has done something, we are held up as examples that they look to us. What a distinction. You may say, why? Because the Holy Spirit has done something in your life and mine, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said, there is one body. In other words, the Holy Spirit has caused you and me to realize that all of us belong to one body. There's only one church. It's the body of Christ. It is made up of all true believers. And you and I have come to realize that in the eyes of God, all of us in this church are precious. That there isn't one that means any more to him than the other. We all belong to one body in Christ. The same Holy Spirit has brought us in. Whether we happen to be white or whether we happen to be colored or poor or rich or whatever the case may be, we are all in this one body. The Holy Spirit is brought. We all I have one hope of our calling. All of us have one hope to spend eternity with Christ. There is one faith whereby all of us believe and profess it. There is the unity that it's faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone as our Lord who died for our sins and rose again one Lord over us all one faith is one baptism that has brought us into this great church brought us into the kingdom of God this, we've all got the same God who is the Father who rules over us and again who works through us and who lives in us when the Holy Spirit has worked that transformation and has brought us to realize what a fellowship there is in Jesus Christ in this one body and this one Holy Spirit and this one faith and this one baptism oh then the Holy Spirit says now you stand you stand as an example that others in the congregation may, by following your steps, they may see how you are to practice what you preach. And let me tell you, that's a distinction, because that means this joy and this evidence that the Holy Spirit is using you and me when we stand as examples, as encouragements to the new members of the congregation, lest in despondency and in discouragement they fall away. Oh, can you realize what an unkind word can mean to a new member of a congregation? Can you realize how discouraging it may be and how it may break somebody's heart and how, again, feeling not wanted may wander away? Can you have any idea what an encouragement we are to be as we practice what we preach in the congregation in the way we treat one another, the way we get along, the way we hit it off, that no soul bought in the blood of Jesus Christ should ever get discouraged and despondent and thinks that no one cares and to wander away and to be gone. Oh, listen, is it any wonder that Paul says, and he's talking to us this morning like he talked to the Ephesians. He says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord's sake. He says, won't you please walk worthy of your calling? Won't you live up to your calling? Won't you practice what you preach? And when you and I say, yes, I will, I will accept that challenge, then it ought to mean this, that we will determine today that we're going to accept that challenge to practice among ourselves what we preach that again we may live in peace. The congregation may continue and maintain itself in peace. You know, I had a little girl one Saturday come up to my desk at catechism, and she said to me, you know, Reverend, she says, my mother doesn't want me to come to catechism. And so I, I get up by myself on Saturday morning, I dress myself, I get my own breakfast while she sleeps, and she says, I come because I, I want to come to catechism. And I said, 
Why doesn't your mother want you to come to catechism? She said, because my mother's mad at some of the people in the church, and therefore she doesn't want me to come. She doesn't want me to go to church. But she says, I'm coming anyhow. Remember a little boy back in my first congregation that I served? His father and mother, they broke up in divorce, and they couldn't get along with one another, and they took it out on the church, and they didn't want him to go to church either. But he used to come, and just a little lad, he was there all alone. One Sunday he went up to his Sunday school teacher and he said to her, Could I sit with you, Miss Weaver? And that was her name. She was an old maid with a mother heart and she said, Yes, you can. And every Sunday it was a joy to look down on the first pew in my little church and there sat the little guy and Miss Weaver, his Sunday school teacher, because, again, she was proud to have him seated there, but he had a mother and a father that they didn't want him to go to church. How far does pride go in some of us? Must it be said that you and I would rather see our children lost and damned rather than to give in with pride? How proud are you? How proud am I? You may say, don't you ever speak of in love? Sure, we speak up in love. Recall the classic example in the New Testament. Well, there was Peter, the Apostle Peter. He was the missionary to the Jews. You know, old Pete Johnson, I, I feel sorry for the fellow. He was raised a Jew of the Jews. And you know, it went against the grain when God told him to go out and preach the gospel to non-Jews, to Gentiles, like you and I are. He had been raised to have nothing to do with non-Jews, with Gentiles. He had been raised never to eat with them, never to eat pork, had no relationship with Gentiles. But again, he went on and he preached the gospel and here he was, he was dealing with Gentiles. And I can understand that so well because Pete Johnson was a Jew through and through. But you and I can't realize that in the first church, all the Christians were Jewish Christians. There weren't any like you or like me, Gentile Christians. They came a little later. Then when Paul came as the missionary, Paul went out and he and also Peter, they brought in Gentiles, non-Jews. And this is what happened to old Pete Johnson, old Pete. When he got together with him, if he was with a bunch of Jewish Christians and he was with them, he ate with them fine. But when he got a mixed group, then he, he didn't know what to do. Here were Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And uh, he thought, well, now if I go over and eat with the Gentile Christians, what will my Jewish Christians think? But again, realizing that in the kingdom of God, uh, there cannot be any segregation. And the apostle Paul realized that what Peter was doing, he'd eat with the Jewish Christians, and then if he was with the Gentiles alone, he'd eat with them. But then if they were together, he'd go eat with the Jewish Christians. And Paul took him to a colony. Wait a minute, Peter, you don't get away with that. There is no segregation in the church. You don't just go over here and eat with the Jewish. What's wrong with these Gentile Christians? They're Christians too. And in love, Paul remonstrated with him. When Christian love motivates you and me, well, then we have the right to speak up. But oh, God pity this tragedy, that if someone on the last day should be standing on the left of the Son of God and should be lost, and point the finger at you or me and say, I'm lost because... I had a mother or I had a father who didn't practice what they preached, who in pride would rather have seen me damned than to have seen me go to church. God pity you, friend, if that should ever happen. And God pity me, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me, 
Jesus said one day it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better that you and I had never been born. You see, I am, we're washing some linen here. We're talking to Emmanuelites. And you who are guests, we're so happy to have you know, on the radio. But the Apostle Paul, just as he spoke to the Ephesians, he is talking to us and he'd say, Will you walk worthy of your vocation wherewith you are called? Will you walk again in keeping with your calling? Will you practice what you preach in your relations with one another? If you profess and you preach that you are a Christian, won't you show it in the way you treat members of your congregation? And you and I say, Well, why should I? There's no good reason. And Paul said, Yes, there is. Because when you live in peace and when the congregation perpetuates itself in peace, Paul said, That's a wonderful message magnificent thing because it reminds you and me that when we live in peace with one another and when we preserve the unity that the Spirit has given the congregation then there comes also this personal evidence to you and me that the Holy Spirit is using us to be an influence on the man on the outside. Now I'd like to say a few words to you who are our guests this morning who don't belong here. When you walked into this church you want to know how you would feel isn't that right? When anybody who's not a member of any congregation goes into a strange church you want to know What's the spirit? Do they get along? Isn't that what you look for? Uh, do they get along with one another? Are they happy together? Is there peace? Or is it a congregation torn by strife and discord and factions and so forth and so on? The man of the world, the man on the outside, he looks into the church to see what the spirit is if there's peace because he said, if they don't practice what they preach, they don't get me. And you're right, brother. And that's the thing you look for. Isn't that right? And so again, what a distinction that we are being used as an influence for the man on the outside. That when, again, we live at peace with one another, in kindness and in mercy, overlooking the weakness and the faults of one another, not too quick on the trigger with, again, a short fuse, that the man on the outside sees it. Listen, there is nothing he can say against that. Then he says, this thing's real, this thing's genuine. This is no sham. This is what I want. You see, the man on the outside, he's scared to death it's going to be sham. And what a distinction when we are used by the Holy Spirit as an influence. And then to know this, that the Holy Spirit gives you and me this assurance that he's got confidence that as we practice what we preach, that our influence will mean something. How many of us can even weigh what our influence really means on the man on the outside as we practice what we preach in the way we get along with one another? There isn't anybody within the sound of my voice, Christian or not, that can ever emphasize or even realize what, again, that influence can be. Now that ought to mean then this, friends, that we say to ourselves, I'm going to practice what I preach and I'm going to determine today that I'm going to be the personal endorsement that Christ needs in order that the man on the outside can see how wonderful he really is. Christ has to have a personal endorsement from you or me for the man to realize how wonderful you and I are and how wonderful he is in Christ. You know, the Cadillac Motor Car Company says this, we build the greatest and the finest automobile in the world. Now, I'm not arguing that one. But they say this, even though we build the greatest car in the world, it doesn't sell itself. It's got to have a sales force. We must have individuals to sell it. 
And in the same way, let me say this, Jesus Christ has the greatest kingdom that you and I could ever envision. That in that kingdom of God we have the peace of the forgiveness of sins. That you and I have the assurance of deliverance from eternal death and punishment. That we have the assurance of an eternal life with him in heaven. And I challenge you to even dream of anything more wonderful in the kingdom of God than that. And yet even Jesus Christ doesn't sell himself. There's got to be a sales force. There's got to be an individual who endorses him. He's got to have it. Let me give you an illustration. The story is told about a man, a young lad that lived over in one of the Balkan countries in Europe and he came to the United States came from a very poor home his mother had nothing and he promised her he said mother he said when I get to the United States and get a job I'm going to send you some money that you can go to the store and once in your life you can buy everything you want all the food you want and when he got his first paycheck he went to the bank and got a crisp new $20 bill and he sent it to his mother over in this Balkan country. And the mother was so happy when she got it, she went to the store with a $20 bill that she had never had in her life before, and she bought the things that she had never had. And then she handed the $20, the $20 bill to the grocerman, and he looked at it, and he, oh, there, he wrinkled his brow, and he was filled with fear. And if you've ever been over in Europe in the Holy Land, you can well understand that. A dollar bill in American money goes any place. But whenever you flash a $5 bill or a $10 bill or a $20 bill, the European or the Middle Asian individual, he is scared to death. He is afraid of that. But here was a $20 bill backed by the richest nation under heaven, and the grocery man handed it back to her, and he says, Mother... I can't use that $20 American bill. He said, go to the banker. She went into the little village bank and she handed it to the banker. And when he looked at it and saw what it was, he smiled and says, I'll fix that. And he took his penny, wrote his name on the $20 bill. He endorsed a $20 bill backed by the wealth of this great nation. He said, now you go back to your grocerman. And she went back to the grocerman and she handed him the endorsed $20 American bill. And then he took it. You see, Jesus Christ is tremendous. But unless you and I practice what we preach and give him our personal endorsement, he doesn't mean a thing to the man on the outside. And therefore now a few words to you who don't belong to a man and you over the radio who've been listening. May I say, we're awfully sorry if somehow or other any member of Emmanuel Lutheran congregation has failed to practice what he preaches and we ask you to forgive us. And we promise you that we're going to do better. We promise you that we're going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to walk worthy of our vocation because, listen friend, we love you. We love you in Christ. We have no greater desire than that you spend eternity with us. We love you in Jesus, and we would love to see you come into this one body, the Holy Christian Church, and be saved. Will you pardon and forgive us? Because we haven't practiced what we preach. We promise you that we will walk the glory road, and this will be our prayer, and we will turn to our Master and we will say, O oh Master, let me walk with thee in lowly paths of service free. Tell me thy secret. Help me bear the strain of toil, the fret of care. Oh, we ask the Master that we may walk with him, and that you and I then may again go out and practice what we preach. 
Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.